0: You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, Team, thank you for leading us in musical worship. Indescribable, uncontainable. I don't know if you know or if you've read Job, but that song was dripping with Job, wasn't it? The storehouse is laden with snow. Wow, what a God we serve. What a God we serve. What a privilege to get to be here tonight, isn't it? To get to sing, to get to think, to get to dream, to get to know about this God. I'm excited to be here. My name's Tanner, and I know uh, some of you I know personally, but there's many of you I don't. I went to MSU, uh, started in 06, and I graduated a couple years ago, and I came on staff here with Andy to work at Grace Bible Church. But I didn't know that indescribable God growing up. I knew about him. I went to church faithfully Sunday in and Sunday out, but I didn't know him, and in college God did a magnificent work in my life, and he opened my eyes to behold marvelous things and beautiful things. And I'm here to testify about those beautiful things with you here tonight. So thank you for letting me be with you. Thank you for coming here tonight. Uh, I married a beautiful gal named Brooke last March. And uh, she's with me here tonight. If you haven't met her, make some time to meet her tonight. And for those of you who don't know, we're going to have a daughter come the new year, and we're pretty excited about that, too. Yeah, you can clap. Thanks. Thank you. A lot of people have asked us, uh, what are you going to name her? Do you have a name for her yet? And it's not typically people don't tell the names of their children until they're born, but we thought, what better occasion to come out with a name than tonight? So we're going to tell you finally what we're going to name our daughter. We've been thinking about it a lot and we uh, we decided that we're going to call her Whoops. Cuz uh I'm just joking. You know, I'm just joking. You know, in in our mind we didn't plan it, but the God we worship did plan it before the foundations of the earth he knew and we're thrilled about it. We're excited about it and we'll come up with a better name before January than that, I promise. <laughs> Well, it is a privilege to be with you, and I think after that, maybe especially, uh, it'd be be appropriate that we pray. Uh, While I'm praying, you know, typically we just bow our heads and go to prayer, don't we? But nowhere in the Bible do we see that you have to bow your head when you pray. So why don't you keep your eyes up, and why don't we pray to the Lord tonight? And uh, while I do that, these men and women are going to pass out these sheets for me. So you guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for an opportunity to be with other people in a building that's safe. Uh, Thank you for an opportunity to be in a place where I'm not worried about someone coming in with a gun and halting this meeting. Thank you for an opportunity to be with people from Bozeman and from Haver and from Butte and from many places gathered here to worship you. And we want to ask that you'd make your name great tonight, Lord, that you'd magnify your name. For your own sake, act. For your own sake, get glory. You will not share your glory with another. So get glory for yourself tonight. We ask through the description of your word and through the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Well, who was Zopher? Anybody know who Zopher was without looking at your sheet? Who was Zopher? I hope there's enough sheets. If there's not, Andy will go back and uh, make some more copies of them. Who was Zopher? I tell you what. If you know who Zopher is, I'll give you a free ride. No payment needed to the prayer retreat next weekend. Who was Zopher? No, that's not the name of our daughter either. Who was it, Angus? Hey, you got it, brother. All expenses paid to the prayer advance next weekend. Zopher was one of Job's friends. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Uh, Job 7, 7 through 8. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you do? This God tonight. The first character attribute that we're going to study is this. God is indescribable. We can't describe him. So what are we going to do the rest of the evening? We can't plumb the depths of it. And uh, if I think about it, what better time to, to know who God is, right? With the happenings of Monday... Uh, with what's going on all around us, there's many gods being proclaimed. Who is God? What does he say about himself? Was there ever a time where we more accurately needed to know who God was? Maybe there was, but this is a pertinent time. We must ask ourselves, who is God? What is he like? What does he say about himself? How does he relate to us? What does he think of us? There's only one place to go to answer those questions. That's scripture. I hope you have a Bible with you tonight. If you don't grab one out of the uh, out of the holder in front of you and, and get one on your lap, we're going to go through it. So we're asking this question. That's partly what Mago Day is about. Andy announced on Mago Day, Latin for image of God. What is the image of God? Well, if the image of God is indescribable, that presents a problem, doesn't it? Now, why is it so important that we have this right in the first place? I mean, can't we just go with, well, I think God is like this, and I feel like God is like that. And I heard a guy say today, God gives me a hug every day. Why can't I just make my own God? Why is that so important? Here's why it's so important. Because if we don't have the right God in our mind, if we're not thinking of the God of the Bible when we think of God, that's a big deal. Why? Because eternity hangs in the balance. So we decided to spend a whole semester, rather a whole year, talking about who is this God? To be wrong is a big deal about this. It's infinitely a big deal. There's an infinite number of gods out there. So what about the God? What about him? Zophar says we can't really totally know him. We can't plumb the depths of him. So what are we to do? We pack up shop tonight, call it a night, and say we're good? No. This indescribable God, how can we describe him? What are we to do? Isaiah 40 says this. Isaiah forty eighteen. to whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with him? I'm reminded of Pharaoh's conversation with Moses in Exodus eight ten. It says, may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. Only a chapter later in chapter nine, verse 14, he says this, there's no one like me in all the earth. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because we like to have a point of reference. Uh, We're a a people who want to have something to personify, something to, uh, we make analogies. We say, well, it's like this, or it's like that. That's especially hard for those of you who use the word like five times in a six-word sentence. Like, so kind of like, well, you know, like, you know, kind of, I don't mean to mock. Well, I do mean to mock, but some of us (laughs) use the word like a lot, huh? God says, there's no one to liken me to. There's none who you're going to say, I'm like him. Point to him. I'm like him. God says, there's none that you'd do that with. It's particularly difficult uh, for us here tonight because we only have a short amount of time to discuss this. And we're getting settled in on a pretty impossible task this semester, aren't we? We've got a lot of Friday nights to fill describing a God that's indescribable. So where should we start? Well, we worship a God that is wonderfully indescribable, but let me tell you something else about him. He's beautifully knowable. God is both indescribable and he's knowable. We can know who he is and that's what we're going to look into tonight. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, The more complex the subject The more complex the knowing of it. That's how learning is, isn't it? Knowing and knowledge and learning. Uh, For example, those of you who who are at MSU who uh, have friends or you're in Algebra 065, introductory algebra class. Those of you who are in there are probably going to zoom through it. You're going to get through it. You're going to figure out what 2x plus 5 equals 6 is. You're going to zoom through that class. When you get to comparable uh, vertebrae class, this can be a little bit more difficult. Or your dynamics class, or your fluids class, or some of you here at uh, NBC, your Hebrew two class. Those are hard classes. The more complex the subject, the more complex our knowing of it. That's uh, it's one thing to learn and to know about inanimate objects or subjects, isn't it? But what about animate objects? What about real live subjects? What about a horse? I can read a textbook on a horse or I can involve myself in equine science at MSU and I can learn about horses. But what about a specific horse? It comes only with experience. I've got to spend time around that horse and know how he's going to react in a certain situation. What's he going to do when I kick him this way or say this to him or do these things with him? That kind of knowledge comes with experience. However, humans... Humans, you and I complicate the situation a little bit further even. Why? Well, Because of this. I think, that, I think that publicly people are private and privately people are public. I think there's something going on in here tonight that publicly, you're pretty private. But when you go home tonight privately, you're going to be pretty public. I ask some of you guys, how are you doing tonight? It's good to see you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm, uh, how are you really doing? Oh, I'm doing great. What happens when you get home and you update your status? I'm at the end of my rope. I'm miserable. I'm done. Hashtag devastated. Hashtag why does no one care? (laughs) I care. You just didn't tell me. No, I'm teasing. I uh, I know that some of you guys are in a hard place tonight. But you hide those feelings. You don't disclose those feelings easily. Publicly, you're pretty private. You hide those things. Uh, Situations complicated further if we want to get to know someone in position. Say we wanted to get to know the president or the secretary of state or the treasurer or the speaker of the house. Us knowing them would kind of depend on how much they wanted to reveal, wouldn't it? If we met them, if we saw them, if we met up with them and they said, if they're real vulnerable with us and said, yeah, let me let you into my life, we'd learn a lot about them. But very easily they could just pass over us and snub their nose at us and say, I don't care to get to know that person. And the most you'd know about them is what you learned from Wikipedia. But what about God? I mean, if there was ever a position of authority or a position of prominence as God, how much more with God? Well, fortunately, fortunately for you and I, elusiveness is not in the character of God. God's not running around. We're not in a cosmic game of peekaboo, if you will. God is not hiding from our grasp, but he is indescribable. Rather, God lets us know him when we're able to decide a lot about him because of the book that many of you have sitting in your lap here tonight. Did you know that everything we know about God is contained in this? Ever think about that? That sounds pretty simple, but I remember when someone told me that for the first time. That was a fairly revolutionary thing for me. Everything I can know about God is contained in here. So what better place to know? But there's limitations. There's limitations on us knowing God, and there's several of them that we're going to talk about. The first is this. We're limited by the sinfulness of our minds. Romans eight five says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. Those of you who were here last week know that Andy talked about He talked about uh, the sinfulness of man. And in Imago day, we needed to recognize that we're fallen from God's image. And that fall, it didn't just affect our bodies. It affected our minds. And as as a result, we can't comprehend things like God made us to be able to comprehend things. I have a friend he's so frustrated. (laughs) He gets so frustrated with his memory. Any of you get frustrated with your memory? He gets so frustrated. I, I I, I just memorized this verse. And now I can't remember it. I try to remind myself, I try to remind him, that's, a, that's part of the fall. That's part of our mind being marred by sin. But that's not the only thing. There's also a finite capacity of our minds. Even when God made Adam and Eve before they were fallen, their minds weren't, uh, they weren't omnipotent. They didn't know all things. They didn't have all knowledge. Psalm 147.5 says his understanding is infinite or innumerable. That's not so with us, is it? Otherwise, college would be a breeze. Can you imagine if you had all knowledge? But Psalm 139 says this. Such knowledge, 139.6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high for me. I can't attain it. I can't reach it. Listen, there's just knowledge that we won 't get in this life that we can 't attain in this life, now, some would say it 's either got to be manageable or it 's not believable if you can 't describe it, if you can 't measure it, if you can 't define it accurately enough it 's not believable for me, but to be fair that 's not that's pretty hypocritical there 's lots of things in medicine in uh, in many areas of life that we can 't fully understand can 't fully comprehend. There's knowledge that is just too high for us. It's not altogether different with the Godhead. Matter of fact, I'd venture to say there's few things that we do fully comprehend that we can really entirely wrap our minds around. And what I'm trying to do tonight is not to make an excuse for us. It's not just to backpedal and to say, hey, I can't describe God, I can't comprehend God, so let's call it a night. But neither do I want to say that everything that's not definable or precisely explainable is spurious, or it's ignorant, or it's unexplainable, or it's not real, excuse me, it's fake. Just because we can't fully describe something or explain something doesn't mean that it's spurious. Why don't you turn with me to Job 11? Turn with me to Job 11. If you go to Psalms, that's the first book back from Psalms, go to Job chapter 11. This takes us to, to Zophar. Zophar, who Angus got a free ride on. Zophar, chapter 11, verse 7. I'm going to read with you 7 to 11. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do deeper than Sheol or deeper than the grave? What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? What's that mean? It means God does what He wants to do. Any time God wants to do something, He does it. Verse eleven: For He knows false men and He sees iniquity without investigating. Did you know that God doesn't even have to investigate to see our sin. He doesn't have to to look in or to ask clever questions. He knows our sin without even asking or without even looking. Partly this is so difficult because we as creatures think creature thoughts. We are created beings and as such we think created beings thoughts. God's not a created being, is he? And so it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around to try and encompass something that's the creator, not the creature, As a creature, we think creature thoughts. As a result, sometimes we prescribe God anthropomorphic traits or traits that are uh, restricting or binding because they're human. We put human traits on him that he doesn't have. That's a real tendency that I want to guard against tonight or I want to warn you against tonight. Is not just to try and make God manageable somehow because you can't comprehend him because that bugs you. Don't let that bug you. Let that impress you. Let that make you worship. Let that make you adore him more. The third is this, our language. We're restricted by our language of him. What do I mean? No amount of order, skill, or number of communication classes at MSU or elsewhere is going to cause you or allow you to accurately articulate exactly who God is. You can take all the speech classes in the world. You can be an excellent orator. You can be an excellent motivational speaker. You can have the vocabulary um, of a very educated man. That's not going to fix what we have here. I'll be honest with you. I don't think we need to fix it. But let's look at some more scriptures with me. Why don't you turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me demonstrate to you what I mean. Ezekiel chapter 1. Let's look at verse 13 first. Ezekiel is after Lamentations," which is after Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter one, verse 13. And I don't have time I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to take time tonight to explain the whole contents of the context of Ezekiel chapter one. Now I want you to let yourself be amazed by about what we're about to read. I know you're going to be confused by what we're about to read, but let yourself be amazed by what we're about to read too. Verse 13, in the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. What is going on here? (laughs) These are angels. These living beings are angels and they're around God and they're, uh, they're doing things for God. They're acting as the arm of God. Look at verse 26 with me. Verse 26. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli, or sapphire, some of your translations say, in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man then i noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like a fire all around within him and from the appearance of his loins and downward i saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him verse 28 as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance which was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Some of you guys didn't even know this kind of stuff was in the Bible. This is pretty wild, isn't it? Do you see what Ezekiel's trying to do here? He's trying as, there's almost a straining in the words. He's trying as hard as he can to trying to describe something and and say it's like something, but he just can't quite get there. Now, some of the language he uses, he says, uh, it was like this. And it was like that where God said, I can't be exactly like anything, but in order to help us, Ezekiel's trying to say, it was like the appearance of fire, not fire, but it was like the appearance of fire. Listen to his language. He says, it's not a man, but the appearance of a man. And listen to this final phrase he uses. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. It just gets more and more and more ambiguous. Ezekiel just can't do it. And neither can you and neither can I. And there's a beauty in that, isn't there? There's a beauty in not being able to fully describe what's going on here, to fully uh, give flesh to exactly what God looks like here, what Christ looks like in this picture. This is unbelievable stuff unbelievable. There's almost a straining for words, great efforts undertaken to describe something that's just altogether too difficult to describe. Now, Revelation 1, we're not going to go there, but Revelation 1 verses 13 through 20 is a similar thing. If you've been there before, you know that John is exiled on the island of Patamos and he sees a vision. He's with uh, Christ there and Go read. The reason we're not going to go there is because I want you to do it on your own. Tomorrow morning, the next day, I want you to go and look at Revelation 1-3 and you're going to see that kind of similar language that reaches out and tries to describe something that you just can't describe. What a Lord we worship. You ever think about that? We try our best to ascribe human language to Him, but we just can't do it. I remember I was... This stuck with me. I think this will stick with me as long as I live. I was at a conference one time and a man named Paul Washer was teaching. He was on stage. and He was trying to describe God. And he didn't have anything written down when he was on stage. And he goes, I just hate words. They're just not big enough. He was frustrated because our language isn't big enough. And listen, it's not just English that has this problem. Words aren't big enough. God didn't, we don't have big enough vocabulary to give to God. God is indescribable. If he was describable fully, he wouldn't be comprehensible. What a God we serve. You believe this? Unbelievable. Well, fourthly, we're limited by revelation, by God's revelation. We're limited somewhat by God's own choosing. He could have revealed more about us. Uh, more about him to ourselves. He could have said, I'm exactly like this, or he could, have, he could have given us words. He could have given us language, or he could have given us more scripture, but he chose not to. He could have given us an exhaustible commentary on the, his Trinitarian nature. He's given us lots, but it's not exhaustible. He could have said, uh, before creation happened, I was exactly like this. There's a lot of mystery before God brought us into this world. But for all of eternity's past, the Trinitarian nature of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, existed in perfect harmony before you and I were ever around. God could have told us exactly what that was like, but He's chosen not to. Deuteronomy 29.9 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever." that we may observe all the words of this law. 1 Corinthians four four six says this, Learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant on behalf of one another. What does that mean? It means you be careful, I be careful, not to go beyond what God has given us. God has given us enough, and our temptation is to go beyond it. That's why I think some of this stuff, like Jesus is my boyfriend, comes in. As we want it, we want to do things to God that God doesn't intend for us to do to him. I don't know what a date like with Jesus, date night with Jesus would be like anyway. John fell as a dead man before his feet. Ezekiel said, I fell on my face and worshiped. Be careful with how we talk about God. First Corinthians 4, 6 says, don't go beyond what was written. Be careful not to go beyond what was written. Be careful not to say, I think God is like this, or this, or this, or I'd like him to be like this. The story God has given us is exactly what we need to know. And he's given us just enough, not just enough. He's given us sufficient words. He's given us sufficient scripture to obey him. And what he's chosen to reveal about himself may not be exhaustive, but it is sufficient. It is good. What about the attributes of God? Let's move on to something else. Don't we realize we're bound by the sinfulness of our mind, by the finite finite capacity of our minds, uh, by language, by God's own revelation? What about His attributes? That's what we're going to spend the semester on. And we want to be careful with God's attributes. Why? Well, knowing and understanding the attributes is important. We must not dumb down. We must not take the character of God and And I don't want to go so far tonight as so you go, Aha, I get it. I got it. I know now. I understand it all now. God will not fit as kindly or as systematically into these categories as somehow we'd like Him to be. Somehow the ideas of categories with God sometimes just doesn't fit. It may be linear and neat. I like linear things. I like neat things. Uh, People joke about a double-A personality. I think probably have a double-A personality. And so I want to say God is like this and this and this and this. And I want to give an exhaustible line of his attributes, but he doesn't allow us to do that. How people have characterized his attributes in different categories into a real few of them down, into, uh, into eminent and eminent, into intransitive and transitive, into communicable and incommunicable, or into absolute and relative. There's lots of ideas about how to characterize God. And I don't think that's altogether bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's bad to try and do these things. But God doesn't likely see himself quite as categorized as we like to see him. It's just helpful for men and women like us to, as to know how to sort these things out, as to understand them better. It's not wrong to have these sort of classifications because they are in part from God. God says he is holy. God says he is love. God says he is just. And so it's it's good for us to try and understand God's justice and his holiness, but God doesn't fit into these divisible categories perfectly. Or at least maybe not as much as we'd like them to. We should see these things uh, not as a part of his nature, or not a part of his nature. Or, excuse me, we should see these things as a part of his nature, not as a collection of fragmentary parts or attributes of his essence. These are part of God altogether. So when God exercises his love, he doesn't lay aside his holiness. That'd be a contradiction, wouldn't it? When God exercises his goodness, he doesn't lay aside his distaste for evil or sin. God is fully all these things at once. Not only is God incomprehensible in his essence, but his divine nature is even beyond our comprehension at times. Even his attributes are beyond our comprehension at times. Philippians 4.7 says this, The peace of God surpasses understanding. It's actually prayer. He says, May the peace of God uh, guard your heart. How's it go? I just wrote a little note because I thought I'd remember it when I was with you guys. He says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may guard your hearts and your, mind. your minds in Christ Jesus. So even his peace is, uh, surpasses understanding. Why don't you turn with me back to Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Look with me at verse 25. And follow along as I read from 25 to 28. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Same kind of language that we were seeing earlier, right? To whom will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired, and his understanding is inscrutable. I don't know what your version or translation says there, but mine says his his uh, understanding is inscrutable. He has the peace which surpasses understanding. His understanding is inscrutable. Psalm 136, 6 says this To him who spreads out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 145, 3 says this Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 147, 5 says this Great is our God and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Even his understanding is infinite. Even the various attributes of God are unsearchable, indescribable, incomprehensible. What a God we serve! What a God we get to talk about tonight. I want to suggest something, maybe. Just maybe in God's infinitude there are attributes he has not even disclosed about himself, things we all together will not know about in this life. Wouldn't that be something? Ever think about that? I don't want to carry that too far. I don't want to go beyond what is written, but I do want to suggest to you that we may spend the rest of eternity searching out the mysteries of God. We may spend all of eternity in heaven just marveling at the incomprehensibility of God. However, I want to make it clear as I speak about God's incomprehensibility and often we find him to be indescribable. I did not mean that there's some ambiguous being clouded behind or beyond what he's revealed to us. It's not that there's this smoke screen of data and then God is hiding out behind it. What, he's, what he has revealed about himself is in no doubt it's consistent with his full nature or his, uh, the exhaustibility of what he's told us. He just hasn't told us at all. In addition, what he has revealed about himself, we struggle to understand fully. What I mean is that simply to the extent of which God is, we do not know him. We cannot know him exhaustibly in this life. and again, it's my opinion, it's my opinion that we may find ourselves delighting unexplainably in getting to know him for the rest of eternity in heaven. This God we have, this God. Is unsearchable. What a God we serve. Well, that's the incomprehensibility of God. Are you satisfied? You may think, I think you just tried to eloquently say a bunch of things that you didn't understand. I think you tried to eloquently say he's incomprehensible in a lot of different ways. I did. I can't describe him, no more than what we see in scriptures. This God is indescribable, but he is knowable. If we want something measurable, Christians, believers, non-believers here tonight, if you want something measurable, there's idols all around. You can get one 12 foot by four foot. You can get one two foot by one foot by three feet. If you want something measurable, get an idol. God's not measurable. Idols are. There's lots of gods, small g gods around But there's only one, the God. There's only one definite article, God, the God, the God of the scriptures, the one that we worship, the one that we sing about, the indescribable God. Listen to this quote by Tozer. I put it on your sheet there. The yearning to know what cannot be known, to comprehend the incomprehensible, to touch and taste the unapproachable, arise from the image of God in the nature of man. Deep calleth unto deep, And though polluted and landlocked by the mighty disaster of theologians called the fall, the soul senses its origin and longs to return to its source. How can this be realized? Tozer has a nice way of putting that, doesn't he? What's he saying? He's saying this desire to search out, to know, to understand, to comprehend, to plumb the depths, he's saying it comes from the image of God in us. It's not a bad thing. To want to know, to want to understand, to search these things out—that takes us to the application. If we're called to reflect these truths, in Genesis one twenty-seven, He created us in His image, male and female. He created Him in His image. He created Him. If if we're created in His image and we're called to bear the image of God to reflect the image of God, what do we do with incomprehensibility? What do we do with it? You're not incomprehensible, and neither am I. How do we reflect God's incomprehensibility? What do we do? I struggled as I thought through this. There are some attributes of God that are easy to think about how we can reflect them. They may not be easy to reflect, but they're easier to think about how we can reflect them at least. But since God is beyond our comprehension, uh, beyond, excuse me, beyond our comprehension, And outside of our total description, how are we called to reflect Him? That's an important question to ask, because I'll be honest. Andy and I care a a great deal, a great deal about your spiritual health. If If I could take your spiritual pulse tonight, I care a great deal about how you're doing. Andy cares a great deal about how you're doing. Some of you in here tonight are doing really good. Some in here tonight are really struggling. I recognize that. But if you come to Cross Life week in and week out, if you come here and learn and listen just for the sake of learning and listening, you missed it. You missed it. You just know more. Listen to what J.F. Packer says about this. I appreciate this. There can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. But it is equally true that there can be no spiritual health with it if it is sought for the wrong purpose and valued by the wrong standard. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. I really had to examine myself. I'm gonna be honest with you. I examine myself as I study the character of God. Do I just want to get to know God better for the sake of knowing him? Do I want to be transformed by these things? Do I want to grow in his likeness? I I hope that you do. I've been praying that you would. And so I hope that you'll take this application with you to heart. It's not exhaustible. But brothers and sisters, if you come each week to Cross Life and you just take in things, if you just memorize a verse and, and don't, if you're not changed by it, then you missed it. So I've been praying that you would be, been praying that you would be. One, here's the first application point. You must know him, or as Galatians 4 9 says, be known by him. Galatians 4 9 says this But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you were once, or you want to be? Whose slaves you want to be once more? He's asking a question. How, how now that you've come to know God, or rather, be known by God? How can you turn back to the world? How can you go back to the elementary principles, to the things of the world that you that you used to love and prize? Now that you've come to know Him, you know the ages past they debated the the property or the ability to even know God. I realized that we could come here tonight and study to know about God, and we could learn about God, but. Uh, if God hadn't chosen to make himself knowable to us, we'd be called to worship him just the same. But he did make himself knowable to us. Job seven seventeen says, what is man that you make much of him and that you set your heart on him? Why? Here's a mystery. Why this God who has storehouses laden with snow, who put the stars in the sky, who numbered them and named them and counted them, who holds the world in the palm of his hand, why would he even concern himself with you and I sitting in this room tonight? Why? Why, why, why? Lots of why's tonight. I think we people have asked that question for a long time and I don't have a perfect answer for you. I think there's lots of good answers. One, He created us to worship Him. He created us to get glory for Himself. He created us, and He saved us because He loves us, because He's chosen to set His love on us. But we must know Him or be known by Him. John one eighteen says this, No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained Him. Here's the crux of tonight, okay? God is unknowable. Or excuse me, God is incomprehensible. He is knowable. How do we know him? We know him by his son. We know him because scripture says his son has explained him. What's the word mean? It means he's exegeted him. He's explained him. He's taken care to explain him and to show him and to demonstrate him to us. Not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in Genesis all the way to Revelation, God has demonstrated through his son who he is in the pages of scripture. John 17, three says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How do you have eternal life? You know him or Galatians four says, be known by him. How do you do that? You repent and believe in Christ. And I I just realize again in a room this size here tonight that there's probably some of you who don't know him. And so if you don't know him, you can go no farther. This is your application. Know Him. There's one gentleman in this room tonight. Today's his second birthday. Two years ago today, he came to MSU as a freshman, not known by God or knowing about God, and God opened up his eyes. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe two years from now, you can say, that was my birthday, two years ago, when I was born again, not of the water, but by the Spirit. You must know God. How do you know him? This is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we know the unknowable? Why don't you turn with me? Go to the Gospel of Matthew. Go to chapter 11 with me. Chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Let me read it to you. wait for you to get there. I'll read it to you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him boy, that is just packed with significance, isn't it? We're not going to unpack that tonight. But what does that mean? Here's what it means, at least in part. No one knows the Father unless they know him by the Son. Acts 4.12, for there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than that of Christ Jesus. There's no other name. Y'all know John 14.6, or I hope you do. He's the way, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one No one, it's exclusive. No one comes to the Father except for through me. Anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. That sounds pretty, uh, sounds like you're pretty removed from that, doesn't it? Okay, it's up to the Son. If he wants to reveal him to the Father, if he wants to reveal me to the Father, that's up to him. But look with me at verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we know God? You come to him, you run to him. What does it mean? What does that scripture mean? Often people take that and say, well, I was really burdened over my test in school and God took that burden away from me. Or I was really burdened about, uh, this or that or the other thing. What does Jesus mean there? What is he saying? He's talking about this, the burden of trying to know God by your self-righteous deeds. If you're weary and heavy laden of trying to know God by your own goodness, by your own good deeds, by your own self-righteousness, come to him. Come to him. If you don't know what that looks like, throw yourself in his general direction. Ask someone who does know him. what a God we serve. I hope you know him. I pray that you know him. If you don't, I pray that tonight would be the night you know him. That's application one. Know him, know him. Get in a community group. Okay. Not so cross life can have big community groups, but so you can know him so you can learn about him so you can grow. So you can ask other people who know him, get around people who do know him and ask them questions about him. I'll leave that first John two thirteen for you to look at later. Second, study him. Study him. Incomprehensible God, study him. Tozer so says it's a good thing. He says we part of us being made in the image of God means that we want to plumb the depths of God. We want to know him. We want to search him out. So study him. Study him. So what are you guys doing in life right now? What are you doing? What's your occupation? Well, some of you guys' occupation is students. Some of you guys' occupation is you're in the workforce around Bozeman. Some of you guys are students here. Some of you are students in Butte or in Haver and Dillon or wherever you're from and you're here tonight. You're coming here, but you're you're students. Some of you are just working in the workforce. Uh, Some of your occupation is your mothers, your full time mothers. Listen, whatever your occupation is tonight, part of your occupation is that you're a Christian. You are an occupational Christian and you study to become what you want to be in life, don't you? You want to be a nurse? You study to be a nurse. You want to be an engineer? You study to be an engineer. You want to be a vet? You study to be a vet. You want to be a teacher? You study to be a teacher. You want to be a missionary? You study to be a missionary. Listen, if you're a Christian, why not study as a Christian and learn more about your occupation? Why not invest time as an occupational Christian in learning about your occupation? What better thing to do? You want to excel at your occupation? Study about it. See what God's Word has to say about it. Study Him. Some of you study hard for your classes, but I talk to you during the week, you don't study your Bible. Study Study as an occupational Christian. Psalm 25, or excuse me, Proverbs two says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Listen, don't be afraid to dive into scripture to search it out, to ask hard questions. Write them down. Go ask your community group leader. Come and ask me. Come ask Andy. Come ask anyone. Study these things. Search them out. Look at them. Psalm 119 in verse 34 and in verse 144, the psalmist prays this. He says, give me understanding. I want to know. I want to understand. I want to. The psalmist did. I hope you do too. I hope you want to study and learn and grow. Majestic and true and authentic. What a God we serve. Why not know more about him? Why not, again, why not plumb the depths of who he is? I this, uh, one my friends knew someone who was a uh, Jewish fellow in Billings, and he said, you Christians, he said, so you guys say that Jesus is the Messiah, and you know so little about him. You say that he's the one who came, the lion and the lamb, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the lion and the lamb, but you know so little about him. So I challenge one of you guys in here, I'll challenge all you guys. If you read three chapters a day in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can get through them in a month. Why not try it? Why not begin to plumb? Why not begin to dig into the scriptures and know him, study him, study him, study him. But I'll warn you, you've been given much. And to whom much is given, much is expected. Okay? Much is expected of you, Christians. Much is expected of you in studying and in telling others about you. You've been given opportunities. You've been given a good translation of his word. Third, trust him, trust him. What do I mean by that? Job nine. Are you already in Job or did I leave you in Isaiah? Oh, you're in Matthew, aren't you? Go to Job. Go to Job. Go back to Job. I'm fired up. Do you want to get to know this God, to study him, to learn about him? Look with me at Job. Job nine says this. Job nine, ten through twelve. Who does great things, unfathomable, and wondrous works without number? Were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? What are you doing? How many times do we do this to God? Listen, the third application point is to trust him. God is sovereign over everything that we do. One of his indescribable natures, we can't understand what he's doing all the time. He's incomprehensible. So here's a chance to trust him. If he were to snatch away or to take away, who could restrain him? The answer is no one. Who could say to him, What are you doing? I get that tendency. I'll I'll be real and honest with you. I get that tendency in each of us. But here's your chance as believers, as people who say they believe in the sovereignty of God, to trust him. Even when the darkest moments in your life come around, even when death and pain and suicide and bad things come around, you can say, you are God and I will trust you. Who can say to him, what are you doing? It's your chance to throw yourself on him in hard times just to trust him, to trust him, to trust him. I I didn't run this by you. Is okay if I talk about your dad real quick? I should, I should always ask my wife before. Okay, tomorrow will be six years, maybe six years that my wife's uh, father passed away. September 14th, six years ago. And I tell you what, I've learned so many things from my wife, but I've learned one thing is to throw herself on God's sovereignty in difficult times. When everyone else is saying, well, God didn't intend this to happen or he didn't mean this. No, God is sovereign. He wanted this to happen. And what did he want you to teach you in the midst of that heartache, in the midst of the pain and the difficulty of that? He wants you to trust him, to trust him, to trust him when you get injured, to trust him when you get broken up with or to trust him when there's a family death, to trust him. I know it's not easy. I get that. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something that's easy. But the third application point is to trust him. Here's the fourth. We've got to keep rolling. Boast of him. Boast of him. Let other people know about him. Why do I say this? Jeremiah nine twenty four says this. But let him who boasts boasts in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What does God delight in? He delights in these things. But let him who but let him who boasts boasts in this that he knows me. If you want to talk about something, if you want to tell other people something, tell them about God tell him about the savior we learned about tonight. Let me tell you about my God. Do you know him? You get a chance to boast. I wrote on there humbly. You get a chance to humbly boast about him. That's not a contradiction to tell others about him. Fourth application point, go and tell other people. Let me listen or let me read to you Robert Morey. I think it's on your sheet there says this, It's also clear that the authors of Scripture were not embarrassed by the incomprehensibility of God, but proud of it. They did not apologize for it, but they boasted of it. They did not agonize over it, but they rejoiced in it. They were not driven away from it. They were not driven away, God, by it, but were drawn nigh unto God because of it. They did not curse God, but fell at His feet in wonder, awe, and praise. Oh, that we would be more like that right? I would read and study about this God and I would fall at his feet and praise. I don't want to tell other people's about him. It's only a natural response, isn't it? If I, if I, if something awesome happens to me, I want to tell other people about it. I hope you want to tell other people about this. It's not easy right now with the confusion of Monday, with the confusion of so many things on campus and everywhere you go. It's not easy. I get that. But if you're going to boast of something, boast of this, that you know him. Listen, the authors of scripture weren't embarrassed by it, neither should we be. We should rejoice in it. We should love him more because of it. They did not curse God, but they fell at his feet in wonder and awe and in praise. Instead of being baffled by this, instead of being troubled at it made, inspired deeper obedience, more full admiration, and more true worship. Why do you turn as we close to Romans 11. Romans 11, we'll wrap up with this. Romans chapter 11, we could have spent all night in this, Romans 11. I'm reading this to you and then I'm done, okay, because I want you to think on this. So I'm going to read this scripture to you, Romans 11, I have some questions on your sheet. I want you to take a minute to think about those questions, then we'll close in song and I'll say one more thing to you. This will be the last thing I say for now. After this, go through the questions on your sheet. Romans 11, verse 33 through 36. Verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we've set out on a mission to describe the indescribable and have failed. But I hope in the midst of realizing that we can't get there, that we can't go far enough, that we can't think big enough, that we can't use language big enough that you've come to appreciate, to worship and respect him all the more that you would know him. If you've never known him, God, I pray that they'd know you if they'd never known you, that you would study him as an occupational Christian, knowing that you'll never get there, that you'll head in the direction that you'll trust him in ways that you've never trusted him in light of his unknowable, or excuse me, indescribable, unsearchable self. Whether it's the death of a father, whether it's, it's, and I say this in joking, whether it's an unexpected child, whether it's the death of a child, whether it's the injury of uh, your heart, whether it's the injury of your body, whatever it is. I pray that, Knowing that we can't know his ways perfectly, that you'd come to trust him more. and finally that you'd come to worship him better, that you'd trust him, oh that you'd, that you'd go tell others that you'd boast of him to others. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would fill this place up, not for the sake of cross life, not for the sake of myself or Andy or even the people in here, but that you get glory for yourself, that others would go and boast of you, that they'd go and tell of you that someday this sanctuary would be filled with people who worship you in song and teaching and learning. God, that they'd they'd go and that you'd do a work here, that you'd fill this place up, not just for the sake of filling it, but for getting yourself glory for you will not share your glory with another, so get glory for yourself, but to worship you well, knowing that you are the incomprehensible God. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.